بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيد الأولين والآخرين وعلى جميع إخوانه من النبيين والمرسلين وآل كل وصحب كل ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما يا رب العالمين All praise is due to Allah and may Allah raise the rank of Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him and protect his nation from that which he fears for them we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to increase our knowledge and benefit us with the knowledge we have acquired. Ameen. Let us first have the intention of attending the lesson for the obedience of Allah, as well as to have the intention of i'tikaf in this mosque as long as we are in it. We are talking about the sins of the body, so one can avoid them. Amongst the sins of the body is to use a borrowed item in other than what one is permitted by its owner. Such as you can borrow an animal, let us say a horse. You borrow a horse to ride it. However, you start transporting furniture on it. So that means you are using the borrowed item in other than what the owner permits, and that's haram. Or to keep it longer than permitted. You are supposed to use it for a week, let us say an outfit. You borrowed an outfit from your friend for an occasion, and she allowed you to use it for one week. Then you kept it for more, without the permission of the owner or to lend it to someone without the permission of the owner because you borrowed it for yourself in order for you to lend it to someone else to use it you need permission from the owner also amongst the sins of the body is to prevent others from using what is permissible unowned such as preventing others from grazing their animals in an unowned meadow or collecting firewood from an unowned land or from extracting salt, gold, silver and other resources from their unowned origin or from using drinking water from a self-replenishing source the Prophet said in the hadith that Muslims are partners, that's in general, Muslims are partners in three, water, grass, and firewood. Meaning if that is like a forest, it's not owned by a person. Every Muslim can go to the forest and get some firewoods. One cannot prevent others from having access 
to this forest to collect some firewoods from there. He is not allowed to bar them, to ban them from doing so, because they are partners in this manner. Same, let us say, for instance, the beach. Everyone can go to the beach and swim. That's common, commonly used by them. It's an unowned matter for one person. So one cannot go to the sea, for instance, and prevent people from having access to the beach to swim in that area. Now, unfortunately, in Lebanon, from north to south, over 80% of the shore and the beaches have been taken, have been taken unjustly by some people of power and they are not allowing people to have access to swim in that area unless they pay money. So everyone had taken a section from north to south. So if you were to go and swim, they don't let you until you pay money. You pay money, then they allow you to swim at the beach. You are not allowed to even pay money in that case and enter to that place. Because you will be encouraging them to continue doing what they are doing. Rather, they should be told that what you're doing is forbidden. You cannot prevent people from having access to the beach to swim. Because it's not owned by you. You did not inherit the beach from your father or your relative. That's for all, for public. Forests that are unowned. Now, there are some private forests. A person may have purchased a land, big land, let us say. Thousands of acres. It's his and he might have a fence all around it. That's a private property. So here, of course, if you want to go inside this private property, to collect firewoods, you need permission from the owner. But we're talking about the unowned land. Unowned land, it's not owned by a specific person. It's for public. Everyone can have access. In the past, even they used to dig wells for the sake of Allah. They dig it in a desert, in any place. So it's an unowned land. And so everyone, the passerbys, can benefit by the water. In the past, it was difficult. So one would dedicate it to people to benefit from. So anyone can have access to it. So if one, let us say, in a caravan, and he reached that well, he cannot say to others, you are not allowed to come and take water from this well. He can't do this. He cannot bar them, ban them from having access to that well to get some water. He can't do this. However, if in your private property you dig a well, that's your land. You dig a well in your private property, yes, if anyone wants to go inside to get some water from that well, they need permission from you as an owner to take from that water. Similarly, for instance, if you take the water in a container, whether it is from the sea, from a well, and the like, once you 
collect the water in a container, that water is yours. So one cannot say to you, where did you get that water from? And you tell him from that well. Then he says, I want him, he can take him. No, because after you took him into your possession, put him in a container, yes, that's yours then. But the well, whenever they take water, it is self-replenishing. So it's not like, for instance, a pool that is owned by someone and the like. No, that well, they dig it for the sake of Allah, they dedicate it, everyone can benefit by it. So one cannot bar others, prevent them from having access to that water. They call this in Arabic, tahjirul mubah meaning he's barring others from having access in something they are permissible to get. If you have a private land, that's a different story. Same, let us say someone was in the desert and he found a place that is filled with gold, silver and the like. So he started extracting the gold and silver from that place. Not because he found that place, it's an unowned. That means he can prevent others from having access. He can't say, I found it, so no one is allowed to come near it. Because that's something common. So these are common resources. People can have access to them. One cannot bar others from having access to them. Same if one were to extract salt from the sea. Now they extract salt from the sea. In some places you can see the salt on the shores, subhanAllah. So you can have access to get salt from the sea. So someone found a place where he can get salt from the sea. He cannot prevent others from having access to that beach or the sea to get some salt from it. He is not allowed to do so. Same if there is a land, there is grass, and someone wants to graze his animals in that land. It is an unowned land, so it's not a private property. He cannot prevent others from grazing their animals in that meadow, for instance. Because as the Prophet ﷺ said, Muslims share these resources. They share these resources equally. So no one can prevent others from having access to any of these resources. We mentioned, as the Prophet said, water, grass, and firewoods. So he cannot prevent others from having access to them. There was in Medina a well owned by a non-believer. They call it Bi'ir Ruma, the well of Ruma, or the well of Uthman, it's called now. This well, when Muslims immigrated from Mecca to Medina, they found a big difference in water taste, in the water's taste, because in Mecca, Zamzam they had, Zamzam water. In Medina, many wells were a bit salty. But that particular well had very nice taste. But the owner, who was a non-believer, used to sell it to people, sell water to people. 
They used to pay money. Now we pay in a different way. But they used to purchase money to drink. Then the Prophet والسلام, out of his sympathy with the believers, he said, who would buy this well and dedicate it for the believers in a way that he would agree that his share would be similar to theirs and his bucket is same as the buckets, meaning he doesn't have anything special, any special merit. So he would stand in line until his turn comes, then he can get some water, he will be normal. But he will buy it and dedicate it to Muslims. But in return what? He gains paradise. Uthman ibn Affan said, I'll do it. He purchased the well from his own money. Then he dedicated the well to believers, it became for free. Anyone can get from that water for free. So when it is dedicated for the believers, one cannot prevent others from having access to that well to get some water because it's dedicated to all. Also in the past, they used to build, let us say like boarding places for the students of knowledge. There will be like a mosque here, for instance, next door is a boarding place. And they would say, we dedicate this place, the one who built it or purchased it, whatever, I dedicate it to all the students of knowledge. So there is a restriction. Who can benefit by this facility? The students of knowledge. So anyone who goes to that place to learn, he's a student of knowledge, can use that boarding place. Same, one cannot prevent those who are entitled to be in that place from being in it. He cannot prevent them from having access to that boarding place to sleep in. If they are entitled, how they are entitled when they are students of knowledge. The Prophet said in the hadith, Al-Muslimuna inda shurutihim meaning the conditions of the believers are binding. One believer may dedicate a well and says, for instance, he might say, this well is for the believers to drink from, dedicated only for drinking. So one cannot wash his car with it because it's dedicated for that reason, to drink from it. So he cannot take water for something else, only for that reason. He might say, this is for believers to drink and make wudu from. So he might dedicate it for, for any reason that is permissible and he wants the reward from that. So whatever one dedicates or for whichever reason that thing is dedicated for, Muslims must abide by that condition. That's the meaning of it. Also amongst the sins of the body is to use the lost and found article. They call it luqata in Arabic before satisfying the conditions of notification. If you find something, maybe someone left it in a place, he was on the 
sitting on a bench, let us say, it fell, or he was using it, then he forgot it, and he went to another place. This item is classified as lost and found article. If someone found it, he cannot just grab it and use it. He cannot just take it and put it at home, for instance, and wait for a couple of weeks and say no one asked about it. They don't know that you are the one who took it. You have to announce it. Islamically, you need to make an announcement for one year about this lost and found article. So you might, there are conditions, you put a sign and you choose the time where you go and you proclaim, I have found an article, one, two, three, whatever. If you have lost it, come to me so they can describe it to him and to see if they are the true owners of it. So he needs to announce it. Keep on announcing. He would go to the mosque on Friday, he would announce it, and so on. There are conditions. For one year, that's the proper announcement for it. Now, what happens if after one year, the owner doesn't show up? What can he do? He has two options. He can keep it. Maybe the owner will appear one day. Or in that case, he is allowed to use it or consume it with the condition that if the true owner were to show up at any time, he would reimburse him. That's a condition. So first, to announce it for one year, keep making notifications, announcements here and there in places where he thinks people might be able to hear it until the owner shows up. If after one year, the owner doesn't show up, he is allowed to use this article or consumer with the condition that if the true owner shows up, he would reimburse him in that case. Also amongst the sins of the body is to sit in a place where disobedience is being committed without an excuse. So someone went to a place, they started listening to music, so why would this person be sitting there? He might tell him, turn it off, he can change it. Don't do this, don't do that. He can tell him to get rid of it. If they refuse, he can leave that session. So no one is forcing him to be in that session. But if he had a valid reason, he cannot leave that place and he hates that sin in his heart. He's not taken part in any way. So he has a valid reason in that case. He is not sinful. Sometimes you might be... Just imagine you are in an aeroplane. Imagine and they put some music, for instance. Where can you go? You cannot leave that session. You might be in a bus going from one place to another and they put music and you told them to turn it off, they're not listening and you cannot leave that session so you hate it in your heart.
in that case. But for just hanging around and they are committing sins, you are not allowed to hang around with them in that place where they are committing sins. Sometimes you might go to a restaurant, for instance. You are sitting on one table with your family eating. Someone on the other side started eating and he might order alcohol, for instance. You are not sitting with him. So here, if you finish your food, then you leave, you are not sinful. You are not sinful in that case. But what is the haram? Is to sit together while he's drinking alcohol, to amuse him. We mentioned that before. To amuse him while he's drinking alcohol, talking to him and the like, and he keeps on drinking and drinking. He has someone to amuse him. In that case, that is forbidden. Also amongst the sins of the body is to enter into a banquet without permission or be admitted out of shyness. And that happens a lot. The Prophet said in the hadith that the believer is not allowed to take the staff, like stick, of his Muslim brother without his permission. He, let us say, got a stick from a tree and he's using it. It's for him. You are not allowed to take it without his permission. So if he's having, let us say, an invitation, he invited some friends to eat. It could happen at work. Maybe some workers, some workers, one of them invited four or five, and they are eating, but you are not invited. Here you do not invite yourself to sit and eat with them. So you do not attend this banquet if you are not invited. And you do not put him in a, like, uh, in a situation where they feel shy and embarrassed, so they want to accept your invitation unwillingly. You can't do that as well. Rather, such a matter is forbidden. Some people might say to them when they are eating, huh, you are eating, why didn't you invite me? And he might sit down. So they look at him and they feel shy. What can they say to him? Then they remain quiet. If he knows like, now it's not coming out of their heart. Rather, it's out of shyness. He is sinful in that case. Many people, that if they see someone, let us say, wearing a jacket, oh, let me try it. Oh, it's nice, mashallah, it fits me well. So they keep on saying things until that person says, oh, you can have it. Now you cannot take something out of shyness from others. That's it. Accept what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you. And... Trust me, you will be relaxed in life. Even if you have a small house, small room, small apartment, but you are happy, alhamdulillah, Allah gave me this. Show thankfulness to Allah Azza wa Jal. And see what happens, Allah will bless you, bless your life. You don't have to keep looking at what others have. This is a disease in our society. So even if one has a big house, he looks at his cousin, whatever, whatever, uh, he built a double-story one. 
Then he starts thinking about building a triple-story house. Yeah, they compete for dunya. They compete for this dunya, unfortunately. Also amongst the sins of the body is for a woman to go out with the intention to pass by men to tempt them, meaning to seduce them, such as wearing perfume and passing by men with the intention of seducing them. That is forbidden. Allah Ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an about some ladies who wear anklets, you know, the anklets, and they, they put something to them, and they think in like when they walk, and sometimes they hit the ground with their foot on purpose, so men passing by would look at them for seduction. That is haram. And the Prophet said in the hadith, that any lady that wears perfume and passes by men to seduce them, then she has committed an introduction of zina. But what did the Prophet say? And that's the translation of the Arabic hadith, that any lady that wears perfume then goes out and passes by men with the intention to seduce them, then she has committed an introduction of zina. We understand from this hadith that if she did not intend to seduce men, let us say she might sweat at work and she might have a bad smell, so she doesn't want this to happen, so she put perfume, so she wants smell awful, for instance, in that case. Then she left the house, not with the intention to seduce men. That's not haram, but it's disliked. It is disliked in that case. Also amongst the sins of the body is sorcery. Now to engage in sorcery is of two categories. One category, that sorcery is not achieved unless one commits a blasphemous saying or a blasphemous action, and this is blasphemy. Some sorcerers commit blasphemy in order to engage in a kind of sorcery. They told me of a lady in Lebanon, they used to call her a powerful sorcerer, but they used her for evil. And people would go to her. She had the beads, you know, the beads. Instead of using it to make tasbih as we do, say, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, they told me she swears at Allah, on each bead. After she finishes, she would make the sorcery, and she was known of being powerful. Some kinds of sorcery, the devil won't give the sorcerer the help he wants, unless that sorcerer does something kufr. Sometimes the devils might order him to write the verses of the Quran with the najas filth substance. 
or to step on the mushaf and the like to get the help from the devils. So some kinds of sorcery are blasphemy. The other category is what is classified as a major sin. So the least in dealing with sorcery is a major sin and it could be blasphemous. So if it doesn't involve any reason of blasphemy, we say it's a major sin. But some, as we mentioned, the devil might ask the sorcerer to prostrate to the sun, the moon, the devil and the like in order to get the help of the devils in that case. The Prophet وسلم, said, لَيْسَ مِنَّا سَحَرَ أَوْ سُحِرَ لَهُ Meaning one is classified as a major sinner if he deals with sorcery. He does it for others. And also one is sinful for going to such a sorcerer to ask him to do sorcery either for him or someone else. And there's no difference in doing sorcery to make a couple love each other or to hate each other. It's haram. In the Quran, Allah mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah, فَيَتَعَلَّمُونَ مِنْهُمَا مَا يُفَرِّقُونَ بِهِ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَزَوْجِهِ There is a kind of sorcery to make one separate from his wife. And it happened for some couples who had problems, then they had the religious ruqya done for them, and they went back normal. So this could happen because there are some evil people, unfortunately. I remember once a person came and approached me. He went with his father to Lebanon. He was supposed to marry a relative, cousin. When he went there and saw her, he didn't like her. For one reason or another, he didn't want that particular one. His heart didn't open. So he didn't want to move on. Then he found another lady, and he felt comfortable with that lady. So he proposed to that one, then he came back to this country. Unfortunately, his relatives, because he did not pick the daughter, they made sorcery against him. They found people who did sorcery for them against this person. Once he came to this country, he was possessed by a devil. He's a healthy big boy, but he started screaming all night, be possessed. Until you know, they brought him, alhamdulillah, we did the recitation for that person, and he went back to normal. So it happened, some people would do sorcery for that purpose, for harming others. Because he did not choose her, they start thinking of retaliating in a way to harm that person. They don't fear Allah Azza wa Jal. Also amongst the sins of the body is to rebel against the caliph. Like those who rebelled against Ali bin Abi Talib and fought him. Al-Bayhaqi said, 
all those who fought Ali bin Abi Talib were transgressors. Imam Shafi'i radiallahu anhu said the same. So, you know the order of the four caliphs was as follows. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. At the time of Abu Bakr, after the death of the Prophet والسلام, some apostatized. They left Islam. So they were Muslims at the time of the Prophet. When the Prophet died, they apostatized. And they started fighting this caliph, the ruler. Some were Muslims, but they refused to pay the obligatory zakah. And they chose to fight the caliph. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu fought both of them. Then Umar radiallahu anhu, then Uthman, then Ali. When Ali was chosen by Muslims to be the caliph, so he is a just ruler at his time. One cannot rebel against him for an agenda that he has, like those who rebelled against Ali bin Abi Talib at that time. Ali bin Abi Talib, so they chose to fight him and the believers in three battles, one called Al-Jamal, the camel, Safin, and Al-Nahrawan. So he fought them in the three battles because he was the right caliph. And the Prophet وسلم, mentioned in the hadith that if one were to see from his ruler, meaning the caliph, something, let him be patient. Unless it reaches the level of blasphemy. As long as he doesn't reach the level of blasphemy, they are not allowed to rebel against that caliph and that ruler. So those ones rebelled against Ali, obviously not because he fell into blasphemy. Never. He was given the good tidings from the Prophet to be in paradise. But everyone had an agenda. They had different thoughts and the like. Some were looking for um, rulership and the like. So they fought him. And he fought them. So Imam Shafi'i and Al-Bayhaqi both mentioned that all those who transgressed against Ali bin Abi Talib were unjust. All those who rebelled were transgressors and unjust in their fight against Ali bin Abi Talib. Even Imam Ali radiallahu anhu said, I was ordered, that's by the Prophet, yani, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because the Prophet mentioned many ahadith regarding some people who would rebel against Ali bin Abi Talib. So Imam Ali said, I was ordered to fight these three groups. And he fought them as he was ordered. He is the right caliph at the time. Allah said in the Quran, in Surah Al-Hujurat, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ قُتَتَلُوا if two groups of believers are fighting one against the other, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا Try to reconcile between them. فَإِن بَغَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَا عَلَى الْأُخْرَى If one group transgresses against the other, 
doesn't want to surrender. فَقَاتِلُ الَّتِي تَبْغِي Fight this group that transgressed. So he was ordered to fight those transgressors. So he was the right caliph, no talk, by consensus. All the scholars of Islam agreed unanimously that Ali bin Abi Talib عنه, was the right caliph at his time. And all those who rebelled against him were transgressors. Also amongst the sins of the body is to accept taking care of an orphan or a mosque or to act as a judge and the like knowing that one is not entitled to perform such a task appropriately. Now they pay money to be appointed as judges. They pay money. So they're not offering themselves for their capability and entitlement, no. They want that position. Although, subhanAllah, in the past, people like Imam Abu Hanifa, how knowledgeable Imam Abu Hanifa was, radiyallahu anhu, he ran away from it. He ran away from it. When they kept on asking him to be assigned as a judge, he was running away from it. But these days, they pay money to reach such positions. Also amongst the sins of the body is to harbor an unjust person. That is to protect one from those who want to obtain their right from one. You cannot harbor the unjust person. He took money from others unjustly. Then you give him support and protection and the like. So he won't pay back the money. You are not allowed to do this. The Prophet والسلام, said in the hadith, meaning he's damned. The one who harbors an unjust person, meaning to prevent others from taking their right from him, is cursed by Allah Also to terrorize Muslims, even if it were to be by pointing a sharp metal, like a knife, for instance, to them, at them to terrorize them, to scare them. That's haram. The Prophet said, if one were to point with a piece of metal at his brother to scare him, then the angels will curse him. So that's terrorizing Muslims. It goes under as well. If you hide in dark place, in a corner, then you scream and you scare them, that's included. It's haram, that's terrorizing Muslim. And what they call it the April Fool's Day, these days they tell them something to scare them, your father had an accident, your son, whatever, is in hospital, they lie. On top of lying, they scare them and they cause complications for them. Also to waylay, that means waylaying is as gangsters may do, they attack people. Like in the past, they used to travel from one country to another, one region to another, 
in convoy of caravans. Some waylayers would attack them. Sometimes they might kill some of them. Sometimes they might just take their possessions and go away without killing anyone. Sometimes they might kill and take their possession. Islamically, the punishment will differ based on the severity of that attack to these people. Also to neglect fulfilling a vow. Once you make a vow, you become obligated to fulfill it. So if you say, I make a vow to Allah to fast tomorrow, it becomes an obligation upon you to fast that day. And if you don't fast, you cannot just say, I'm going to fast another day. Because you made a vow to fast, it becomes an obligation. If you say, I make a vow to Allah to make i'tikaf in the mosque in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, then it becomes an obligation upon you to fulfill that vow. But if you don't make a vow, you put just intention, I want to go to the mosque, spend the last 10 nights of Ramadan in the mosque. Without making a vow, you are not obligated to fulfill it, but it's disliked not to fulfill that thing, so to leave the i'tikaf for no reason. But if you make a vow to make the i'tikaf, it becomes an obligation. You might say, I make a vow to Allah to pray tonight, let us say, 20 rak'ahs, optional prayers. It becomes an obligation upon you to fulfill it. Also, to continue fasting for two or more days without eating or drinking anything in between. To have continuous fasting without taking anything that would break or fast with. Now, we can break or fast with water, you know that. So, if after Maghrib you fasted the first day, you drank water and you put the intention to fast the following day, then you fasted another day. All what you had is water in between. Here you are not classified as you join them together, no. To fast two consecutive days without taking anything, without eating, without drinking, then in that case, you are sinful. The Prophet wasallam was exempted. The Prophet wasallam would have two days fasting consecutively. And when they asked the Prophet وسلم, he said, I'm not like you. I go to sleep and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give me the strength of the person who had eaten and the one who also drank the sufficient amount of water to be strong. So without eating or drinking, the Prophet ﷺ would stay for two days with the strings. So when they asked him, he said, I'm not like you, ﷺ. But that's not all the cases, of course. At other times, the Prophet used to get hungry and thirsty. But in some days, he would fast 
two consecutive days without being affected in his body, without losing that strength. In one incident, the Prophet left after midnight, left his house after midnight. He saw Abu Bakr and Umar He asked him, what are you doing at this time? What made you leave your houses at this late time? They said, Al-Ju'a, hunger. They couldn't go to sleep because of hunger. So they said, Al-Ju'a, hunger made us leave our houses at this time. We cannot go to sleep. Then the Prophet said, I swear to God, the same reason that made you leave your house made me leave my house. So at some stages, yeah, he would feel hungry, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Also to occupy someone's place in a mosque or in a street or the like to harmfully crowd them or to take one's turn. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned in the hadith that if one is sitting in a mosque in a place, then he went to drink water and come back, let us say, or to renew his wudu and come back, he is more entitled to that place than others in this case. So if one knows of a person who left his place and he is coming to it, to sit, to pray in that place or to make dhikr, then no one is allowed to take his place without his permission. So not because when you see him, he left, that's it, you take his place. If that's his place, he went for a reason, to make wudu and the like, or to drink water then he is more entitled to that spot in the mosque. Also, it's mentioned here that when taking water from a well, we mentioned that earlier, also they have turns. The one who is there first is allowed to take the water first. So let us say someone came after, so he would wait and so on. You know how in some places a person would dedicate a kind of well, but they have a tap. So they use a tap. So only one person can use it at a time. So whoever is first is entitled to get the water first. So if there are in turns, one after another, he cannot take the turns of others. He needs to wait for his turn. By this we have concluded talking about the sins of the body. Now we mentioned briefly about the repentance. If one had fallen or still committing any of these sins that we have mentioned, he must repent immediately. How does he repent from the sin? By stopping doing the sin, regretting having done that sin, and putting a firm intention not to do it again. So these are three conditions. To stop doing the sin, to regret having done that sin, and to put a firm intention not to do it again. If 
the sin pertains to leaving out an obligation such as prayer and fasting, then on top of these three conditions, one needs to make up the missed days of fasting and the missed prayers. If it pertains to rights of others, humans, such as he took their money unjustly, or he swore at them unjustly, he hit them unjustly, then in that case, on top of the three conditions, he needs to return the money, if it's a matter of money. If it's swearing at them, he would go and ask them for forgiveness. So that's a fourth condition in order to be forgiven. So these are the conditions for proper repentance. To stop doing the sin, to regret having done that sin, to put the intention not to do it again. If it pertains to leaving out an obligation, he needs to make it up. If it pertains to the rights of other humans, such as swearing at them and hitting them, he needs to ask them for forgiveness. If these conditions are met, then that sin for this Muslim will be wiped out as if he did not commit it in the first place. So he wouldn't see in the hereafter in his book. The Prophet said, The one who repents from a sin, it is as if he did not commit that sin in the first place. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the proper repentance from all the sins and that we never go back to sinning afterwards. We ask Allah azza wa jal to make our end as pious Muslims. Ameen. And Allah knows best. We say la ilaha illallah.